Amen. Now we're going to do something a little bit different as we get started this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read something together. It's going to be on the screens behind me. This is something that has been a part of the church for centuries. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Um, read it along with me if you would. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We don't always read that together as a congregation, although there are some churches that do that in every service. It is a foundational creed of the Christian church that has been translated and recited for many centuries. Within it, we see a summary of the core tenets of Christianity. Although we should make no mistake, this is not Scripture. Instead, it is a summary of Scripture. This is important to note as our true foundation is not found in the thoughts of other men. It is not found in the devotional thoughts of individuals like Max Lucado or Billy Graham. Our true foundation must be found in the Word of God. And as the Spirit helps us to understand the Scriptures, it has the power to completely transform everything about us. Now, I would like to point out uh, one thing from the Apostles' Creed. I mentioned that it is a summary of beliefs, but I also noticed that there is no reference to specific sins. There's no reference to sexual immorality, although the Scriptures clearly address it. There's no reference to bearing false witness or stealing from others or abstaining from drugs or alcohol. The point is that the creed is not about behavioral practices so much as it is about knowing the God of the universe and what he has done for you and for me. Well, With that in mind, I want us to look at the message God has for us. I want to start a new series today that is simply entitled Leading Well. It is based primarily out of the book of Titus. So I invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles already to the book of Titus, chapter 1. We're just going to look at the first three verses today. And this is unusual, but I want to give you the first point of my sermon before I read the scripture with you today. So you can go ahead and turn, but I want to talk a little bit. The first thing that I want you to see today, you need to know that Titus had some very challenging hurdles. You need to know the hurdles that you face in your life. Let me give you some historical background again before we read Crete is the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean. 
It was an island 250 miles long and about 50 miles wide that was home to about 100 cities, towns, and villages in the first century. It had rich soil, a pleasant climate, and no poisonous snakes or vicious animals, nothing like that. We have no real record of Paul going to Crete, only of him sailing past it on his way to Rome. But most scholars agree that Paul was probably released from prison after the end of Acts and then traveled for about three years doing ministry in various places, which likely includes Crete. There he would have preached the gospel and planted churches. We're told that he left Titus in Crete to manage and to organize what was left and to appoint good biblical leadership in every church. He wrote Titus around the same time that he wrote 1 Timothy to give Titus some encouragement and direction on how to complete the task that he was left with. He planned then to replace him according to Titus 3 and have Titus join him again later on his journey. But Paul was then arrested again. Titus was with Paul for a time during his second imprisonment and then was sent by Paul to another location called Dalmatia. Paul mentions this in 2 Timothy, which was probably written about the time of his being killed. The culture of Crete, though, is very important. It was steeped in idolatry and Greek mythology. If you've read any of the Greek myths, it was the birthplace of Jupiter. And the king of Crete would every nine years go away to amend the laws of Crete. To help add authority to his amendments of the law, he would tell the people that it was the god Jupiter who had instructed him to make those changes. The culture was notoriously difficult, characterized by liars, insincere people who were lazy, greedy, gluttonous, and prone to get their own way by using brute force. Actually, does that remind you of anything today? You talk about laziness. I was reading some statistics. 74% of high school students in a survey of 12,000 respondents said they had cheated on an exam at least once in the past year. The latest craze is to actually use their cell phones. They'll photograph tests and exams and show their friends in the following class so they know exactly what to expect. After doing 3.8 million background checks, Automatic Data Processing Incorporated announced in April that 52% of job applicants had lied on their resumes. Sounds lazy. Sounds like liars. Gluttonous. Do I really even need to talk about that in our culture? We have a very cultured way of brute force. We use it often. We sue one another often. We have MMA. We have wrestling. I know football just started and we celebrate that, but I'm going to tell you, brute force is something that has become more than just entertainment. Even our families, the violence that takes place in our homes, turn on the media, it seems as though it happens all the time. The key question facing us as we look at Titus is how do you lead in the face of that kind of culture? Because that is the kind of culture in which we live too. Titus is Paul's representative. He has arrived on an island with 100 cities with this instruction. 
put everything in order and appoint elders in all the cities. So understand what Titus is asked to do. All he's got to do is take a hundred cities in a culture where things are steeped in idolatry, where people are in a culture that is inherently negative toward anything holy, where people are liars, brutes, gluttons, and find good men in each of those churches, and you train them. Put them in place. Shut up all the false teachers. Rebuke some of those who are living in sin and train all the people for godliness and holiness. That doesn't seem like that much of a task. If you've ever had one of those moments where you thought, where do I begin? That's where Titus would have felt as we look at our passage. Look with me at Titus 1, verse 1 through 3. It says this, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I want to challenge you, first of all, not just to know the hurdles which you face, but I also challenge you to know who you are. As Paul begins his letter, he identifies himself in two very important ways. The first infers a spirit of humility, while the second infers a spirit of authority. He references himself as a slave of God. Slavery was a real thing that existed in that time, so to make such a statement would have carried great power. People would have understood the imagery that is there. This is a declaration that I am not in charge. If the Lord leads me to travel, then I will travel. If the Lord leads me to prison, then I will go to prison. By the way, he's already According to what we've talked about, there's at least two prison terms. If the Lord leads me to speak, then I will speak because I am God's slave. So Lord, have your way in me. For someone like Paul, this is a very, very important statement. Paul was very intelligent, very knowledgeable, but to declare that he has become a slave to God is a reference to the fact that he has given over his will to the Lord. As you know, this week kicked off college football in most places around the country. Well, one of the things that makes me love college football more than professional football is the idea that it's not just about me. In college football, most of the athletes play because they love the game and they love their teammates. If the coach draws up a play and tells you that you're going to be the decoy so that someone else can score to win the game, the player willingly does that because that's what he's been asked to do. In the pros, so often it's all about me. I want the ball because I want the big paycheck. I don't get paid to be a decoy. The Apostle Paul is identifying himself as a willing servant, willing to do whatever he is called upon to do. And I wonder this morning, do you have the same servant's heart that the Apostle Paul had? 
I know that many of you do, but I also wonder if some of us choose to serve, but not with a servant's heart. I mean, you're, you're willing to do something for the Lord or for the people, but you complain the whole time you do it. You grumble about the fact that you know a better way than other people, and this is dumb for us to do it this way. You act like you deserve better than having to do these menial tasks. My talents would be far more valuable if I were doing something different. Well, maybe you're right. And there probably are times that you need to reevaluate the things that you are doing to make sure that your spiritual gifts that God has given you are being properly used. But sometimes you just need to get busy and enjoy doing it. This past week, Pastor Lee and I were on our way back from a lunch meeting where we had been trying to encourage another pastor with some things. We were on a relatively tight schedule when I received a phone call. Apparently, one of our senior ladies had been walking down her hallway in her house and discovered a large, very aggressive snake in her house. She needed someone to come in and to get it out immediately, or I think she was going to burn the house down. <laughs> now, I need to tell you that snake handling is not actually something that is in my job description. There are churches where that is in their job description, but it is not in mine. It's not in Pastor Lee's either. In fact, on the way there, he said, are you okay with this? Because I'm not okay with snakes. <laughs> But we did it anyways, and we had a good laugh about it afterwards. Now, I can think of a million other things that I would rather have been doing at that moment. But that was the thing that God called us to do that day. What is God calling you to do today? Well, he identifies himself, Paul identifies himself as a humble slave. But he also identifies as the one whom he serves. This is really a declaration of authority. He is a slave, but he says, I am also an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is identified by that just as much as he is being a slave. In other words, you may not respect me, but you need to respect the one that I represent. You know, I love the idea of humility, but hate when people confuse that with low self-esteem. In Paul's case, he recognizes that he is nothing without Christ, but he realizes that he has great value and purpose within Christ. He says that you need to listen to what I say, not because of who I am, but rather because of who I represent. He's saying that I may not deserve such grace and value, but God chose to give it to me anyways. Know that you are also valued by God, not because you deserve better than others. The fact is, you are a sinner, just like I am and just like every person sitting beside you today. But you have been redeemed by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. So what ought you to do with that? Go out and serve as his ambassador. The third point of my message today is to know your purpose. In fact, that is what all of us need. 
As God has redeemed you, he now has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that begins with you knowing him better than you even know yourself. Remember those core beliefs that were a part of the Apostles' Creed? He wants you to know all of those things about him. He wants you to know about his amazing love. He wants you to know about his plans for your future. He wants you more than anything to know about him. But he also wants you to take what you know and introduce it to other people. In fact, look at how it's worded in our passage today. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. Paul's primary job is to proclaim faith and to teach people to know the truth. Now, this is a really important point. Notice that Paul is not called to change the behaviors of other people. This is not simply a behavioral modification plan. Tell them to stop cursing and lying and stealing and all of these other things. He doesn't have, claim to have the job of rebuking everyone else for their sin. His job is simply to teach them to know the truth. Now, here's the thing. When you know the truth, <laughs> that truth will show them how to live godly lives. You'll have that behavioral modification. But Paul's job was not to make people good. His job was to point them to Jesus Christ. And our job is the same. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in this particular passage, it specifically states that he is to point them to the truth that can change their lives. And that is our job as well, to point people to the truth that will change their lives. We look around us and we see so many broken people. We see so many people who are covered with sin. I just got through giving you statistics about people who are cheating, people who are lying, all these different things. Sexual immorality comes in so many shapes and forms. It doesn't take a genius to look around us and see we need behavioral modification in our culture. But if we become good people, if we become a good nation, but we do not introduce people to Jesus Christ, we still lose. It's still a failure. Our job is to point people to Jesus Christ. And as they begin to genuinely seek him, behavioral modification will take place. We will become people who reflect his character. We will become people who truly reveal the heart of God. But it begins with us seeking God and getting to know him more than anything else. Thing is, you don't have to be the best person in the world to come to Jesus so often we act like, you know, I got to get everything in order. I got to make sure that I'm right, make sure that I'm clean and I'm pure, and then I'll actually go to Jesus. No, that's not the way it works. It's like getting in the shower. How many of you wipe off with a rag beforehand, get all the dirt off, and then you jump in the shower? And that's dumb. Get in the shower and then let the water help clean you off. Step into this incredible grace that Jesus Christ has offered to you and allow him to begin to do the behavioral modification, to change you and to cleanse you. 
course, the best part of this truth is that this truth also gives the believer, those who come to Christ, hope to know that there is a promise of eternal life that awaits all those who will surrender their lives to him. Now, it's great he changes us today, but it's even better to know that there is eternal life that awaits each of us. We're going to be looking over the next several weeks at what it means to lead well. To lead well means to, first of all, allow Jesus Christ to be the head of everything that you do. And I want to challenge you to be the leader that you're supposed to. We have a culture that lacks leadership. Actually, there are those who want to lead, but they don't necessarily lead in a godly way. And I want us to lead in a godly way, to be able to show people what it is to be a man or a woman of God. We need to make sure that we lead well. But it must begin with us making sure that our hearts are right before him so that people will know the truth and they will experience it and they will say, I want that same truth that you have. See, I believe today that God desires for us to truly know him better than we know anything else. That's what Paul's job was. That's what Titus's job was, was to introduce people to a truth that truly could change everything. Do you know the truth that sets men free? Has it set you free? Now, I'm connecting the dots here for a second. We're going to, in just a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. But if you know the truth that sets men free, and you continue to live a life that is plagued by sin and immorality. My question is, why didn't the truth set you free? Understand, my purpose today is to simply drive home the point that we have a hope that is in Jesus Christ alone, and we need to be pointing people to that, not trying to fix everybody, but simply trying to point them to Jesus Christ. But... As those who are in the body of Christ, we should be asking this question. If I know the truth that sets men free, why am I not free? Why do I continue to walk in sin and continue to allow things that are immoral to take root in my life? If I genuinely know the truth that sets men free, it is time for me to be set free. I do not have to continue in the same sins that have plagued me in the past. We are going to participate in communion, but before we do that, I would like for us to pray. Maybe as a part of this today, you need to confess to the Lord. Maybe you have allowed sin to remain, and because of that, you know that your heart is not right with him. I'm going to ask everyone if you'd stand and bow your heads. Maybe today you would suggest that I need to surrender my life fully to him. I've called myself a slave or a servant of God, but the truth is I've been serving my own desires, my own wishes. But I want to serve the Lord above everything else. If that's you and you would like to pray that God would make things right, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Put them back down. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe today you would say, I have talked about the truth that sets men free, 
but apparently I have allowed sin to remain in me and it does not belong and I'm tired of it. And I want to be set free today. Would you raise your hand? All over. Father, right now I come before you and I ask that you would genuinely set us free from sin. We have allowed far too many things to exist in our lives that do not belong. And it's not because somehow you do not have the power to still set men free. We believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I pray right now that you would completely deliver us from all of these things. Father, you did not save us to be defeated by sin. You saved us to bring us victory in this life with the promise of something even greater in the life to come. Father, I pray that as we confess that you would forgive and that from this moment forward we would walk as those who are being changed. May we genuinely be servants and slaves of our God, not just people who look like servants and slaves. Father, I pray that you would empower us to change this world by allowing your Holy Spirit to work in and through us. Father, I pray today that you would be honored in us as we participate in just a few moments in the act of the Lord's Supper, celebration of something that happened thousands of years ago. I pray that it would become alive to each of us. We know that these are common, ordinary elements, but they represent something far greater. And I pray that as we participate in this act, that it would be more than a ritual. I pray that this would be an opportunity for us to genuinely celebrate, to reflect on the sacrifice that you have given. Father, I pray that as we take these ordinary elements, bread and grape juice, that you would in our hearts transform them into truly a celebration of the freedom and the victory you've promised. May you be honored now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I will ask you to be seated just for a moment. And I'm going to just explain what's going to take place. I have several of our seniors who are going to be coming today, and we try to have different folks participate in helping to serve, but as a part of our service today, we will participate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And um, these aren't uh, extraordinary elements. It's just bread that's been cut up into little pieces for you. It's grape juice that's already poured in a cup for you. But what they represent is something incredible. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and for me. That sacrifice is what made eternity possible and made it possible for us to even be set free. The truth that sets men free that I've been talking about already. This is really the crux of the Christian faith. You see, without the cross, there is no hope for us. And in the cross, we see the body of Christ broken and his blood shed which gives us the promise of eternal life. I hope today that as we partake in this, that you can do this as an act of celebration. Now, we're doing it a little bit different today. We invited our children to come over and to participate with us. What I would suggest is this. If you see your kids, I encourage you to invite them to come take it with you. And that's, actually, I think it's a great thing for us to do this with our families. Uh, this year, our focus at the church has been... Uh, specifically to uh, make the family strong. 
uh, strong specifically in Christ. So I invite you to do this with your family, but I also encourage you with this. Make sure that they understand what the act of communion is truly about, the act of the Lord's Supper. This is more than a ritual. It's not just something you do because, well, they have church and we're supposed to do it. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to truly disciple our kids, to show them this is what communion of the Lord's Supper is about. So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to pray once more. The seniors are going to come forward, and they're going to set up stations in various places. I'm not going to tell you when you have to come forward. I'll give you the freedom. You can choose to come as you feel led to come. Uh, But you'll need to go to one of those stations if you are going to participate in communion. We have in the Wesleyan Church, it's called Open Communion. Uh, which means that if you're not a member, you can still participate in it. Um, The only thing I ask is that you make sure your heart is right with the Lord before you do come. Uh, We've been talking all day today about making sure that our hearts are right. Uh, Make sure your heart is right as you come so you don't do it in an unworthy manner. Uh, But I encourage you, I invite you to come. Let me pray, and then I'll invite you to come forward. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you for what these elements really represent. Thank you that you loved us enough that you would send your son to die for us because you knew our sins, but you were not content leading us in those sins. I pray today that if there be one that maybe they want to participate today, but they know their heart's still not right with you, I pray that right now you would begin to speak to their hearts, that you would challenge them, that they would realize a need to fully surrender to you. I pray that you would, as we participate in these elements, draw us into the crucifixion story. As we partake of the body, I pray that you would remind us of your body that was broken. As we partake of the grape juice, the blood, I pray that you would remind us of the incredible sacrifice and what that really gave to us. May this be not just a solemn occasion where we mourn the loss of our Savior, but rather let it be a time of celebration as we celebrate what that sacrifice resulted in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We invite you to come to any of the three stations to receive the elements of communion.
Is there anyone who is unable to come forward but would like to have the communion elements brought to you for communion this morning? As Jesus met with his disciples on the last night that he was with them, he took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body that is broken for you. He said, every time you eat this, I want you to remember me. Then he took wine. In our case, it's just grape juice. But then he took wine. He said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. He said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But every time you drink this, I want you to remember my blood that was shed for you. Father, once again, we come before you and we simply say thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. I pray that every day, every moment of every day, I pray that we would live in celebration of your sacrifice. I pray that as we eat lunch later today as we eat dinner, that it would be an opportunity for us to remember that every time that we eat this, every time we drink this, I pray that every meal would be an opportunity for us to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. May we constantly be aware of what life today cost you. Thank you that you created us, that you gave us the opportunity to be set free. Thank you for paying this great cost so that it could happen. May you be honored in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I will ask this, if you will leave the cups that you have in your pews, we'll have someone come back through and we will take care of them so you don't have to worry about cleaning that up. We will do that for you. I do thank you for being a part of our service today. I know it's Labor Day weekend and it means nothing in South Carolina, but there are places around the world where it's a big deal. But I do thank you for making it a priority to be here with us today. Thank you and go in peace.